Hey guys, ordinarily this is the part of my podcast that starts with a cold open conversation with my guest and eventually we just get going into the regular show, but this is uh, flying solo today actually because it's 4th of July weekend, it's the Friday before and it's essentially part of the long weekend at this point and I didn't want to make anybody come into work on a long weekend, so I had an idea for a show that if you've been following me on Instagram, at KenThinGuy, Every Throwback Thursday for the past couple months, I've been posting old ballpark pictures. I've visited 34 Major League ballparks, 21 current ones on my lifelong baseball odyssey, and I've had hundreds of pictures of them just kind of sitting in the back of my closet and figured, yeah, why not have someone else see this? Maybe they're interesting for two other people. And so I thought this is going to be kind of the show equivalent of that, where I'm going to go through... Uh, half of the ballparks I visited in my life and do a little quick one to two minute hit on each one. And I kind of figured, you know, that'll be like 17 for this episode, 17 for a later episode, because about 20 minutes of this is about all you can stand before it gets like, okay, we see what you're doing. So without further ado, I'm going to launch into my ballpark reviews. Uh, This is not really a comprehensive ranking, just a list and my reactions to it. I hope you dig them. If if you have ballpark thoughts yourself, please hit me up on Twitter at Ken Schultz underscore. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, episode 33, the Eddie Murray episode. And without further ado, let's begin our ballpark odyssey at the site of my first ever baseball road trip, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Now, there was nothing special at all about Riverfront Stadium. It was a concrete bagel where dreams are made of from the 1970s, artificial turf, No view of anything in particular other than seats and more concrete. Nothing at all aesthetic or pleasing to the eye about it. And yet, I've got a small soft spot in my heart for it, because it was the first I'd ever been to uh, outside of Chicago. I used to watch many games on TV there as a kid, Harry Carey and Steve Stone watching Cubs games in WGN. But to be there in person, it just felt like everything suddenly popped, like the fake color of the green turf just popped in my eyes for instance, or, you know, the blue leading up to the green, leading up to the red seats. Like, that was special to me as a kid. And and even though Riverfront was part of that 1970s era of multi-purpose stadiums, there was nothing to really differentiate it from Three Rivers in Pittsburgh or Bush in St. Louis or the Vets in Philadelphia. And really, nothing better conveys the sheer joy you felt walking into one of these buildings than naming it after the place where your dog went to get its balls cut off. But as I say, nonetheless, Riverfront Stadium's got a small soft spot in my heart, and I think it helped that I saw Rick Sutcliffe pitch a shutout, Mark Grace hit a home run, and the Cubs win 4-0 that day. So that was like the extra special cherry on top of the Sunday. And from that point forward, a baseball park had to be part of every single family vacation that I went on. It was just that cool to me. And So number two on the list is also a park that I think is actually literally that cool. Great American Ballpark in Cincy, the place they replaced it with. It's one of the more underrated ballparks in the game to me because it's got a really great view, especially from the upper deck, where you're looking out over right field, you see the Ohio River and the rolling hills of Kentucky in the background. And that's really different from any other park that I can think of. And it's good also because it reminds you that no matter how the game is going, no matter how exciting or even dull it might be, You're still not in Kentucky, and that counts for something. And also, Great American is the place where you go to see Joey Votto be a hitting genius. And that is one of the best sights in baseball. Number three on the list is the oldest ballpark I've ever been to. Old Comiskey Park in Chicago, built in 1910, and it 
felt it. Every time you walked into Old Comiskey Park, you had a sense that, yeah, this is Chicago. There is literally a 100% chance that some White Sox front office guy has paid off a building inspector to keep this open for another year. But they managed to do it up until 1990. Old Comiskey Park, to me, is always a landmark of trips to my grandparents' place in northwest Indiana, because that usually took about an hour and a half in the suburbs in our family's old station wagon. And by the time we got to Old Comiskey, it was about maybe an hour in. So my parents would go, hey, it's Comiskey Park. We're almost there. And so Old Comiskey Park is forever associated with hope that this endless car ride is going to end in my mind. And we used to go to games with my grandpa as a kid. And those were always fun. I remember about seven or eight years old going to a game, a White Sox game at Comiskey and Carlton Fisk or Harold Baines or Ron Kittle, one of those guys hit a home run. And everybody's cheering, and I'm excited, it's great. And all of a sudden you hear this boom in the background and fireworks going off over your head. And I was unprepared, and it freaked the hell out of me. I hated loud explosions as a kid, you know, thunderstorms, fireworks, or clowns shooting off cans at the circus. All those are just like triggers for fear in me. So I think that's the story of how I became a Cub fan. Now, if I always had fun at the old Comiskey Park, I can't say the same for its replacement, number four on the list, Guaranteed Rate Field, the current name of new Comiskey Park, because nothing says fun at the old ballpark like a mortgage lending company. And we call it in Chicago Downward Pointing Arrow Ballpark, and that really sums up the feel of the place, too, because Guaranteed Rate is like if they built Riverfront Stadium, but kind of opened up center field and said, hey... You know what would be better than just an unclosed ballpark? A view of the expressway. That's what you get there. And it's the site of the only place I've ever really freaked out at a baseball game. When we went for a game back in 1991 when it opened, my parents got us tickets maybe like 15 or 20 rows into the upper deck. And the upper deck at the new Comiskey Park was the steepest I'd ever been outside of, like, Space Mountain in Disneyland. You sat up there, and you felt like if you stood up, there was a chance that you could face plant 200 feet below, directly in front of Frank Thomas at first base. And I flipped. It's the only time I've ever told my dad, I don't want to sit here and watch the game. We had to wander around for two hours instead of sitting and watching. And Guaranteed Red is also the site of the worst experience I've ever had at the end of a baseball game. We went to the first Cubs-White Sox interleague series back in 1997. And I will to this day remember sitting out in the parking lot after one of the worst games I'd ever seen. The White Sox shut the Cubs out 3 to nothing. They had like two hits. It was just an embarrassment. And what made it worse is that we had to sit in the parking lot for 45 minutes where nobody moved. And one row in front of us was this mustachioed 300-pound Southsider. And any time someone, lean, or someone walked past in Cubs colors, he'd lean out the front of his truck and yell out, Cubs suck! Over and over and over. So for 45 minutes, all we had to hear was, Cubs suck! Cubs suck! Cubs suck! And I've not been to a game there since. Number five on the list is also the site of one of the most horrific games I ever attended in person. Bush Stadium 2 in St. Louis, and ordinarily, as I've mentioned before, this is where I'd insert the joke electric boogaloo, but that's now code for white supremacy, although we're talking about St. Louis, so that might be a bit on the nose, actually. Bush 2, electric boogaloo. Sure, we'll go with it. And it, as I mentioned before, it was similar to Riverfront Stadium, but just a little bit better, like it's kind of like naming your favorite kidney stone, honestly. 
but they had concrete arches in the top of it and a manual scoreboard. So if you put like the bare minimum amount of effort, you would have the best one of the 1970s ballparks. And as I said, it was a place where I've had the least amount of fun watching a game. I remember this game in 2002 specifically. I went with my dad. And it was a game where the Cubs, who were nothing special in 2002, took a five-run lead into the ninth inning on Sunday Night Baseball. And then we had to watch Antonio Alfonseca, the six-fingered menace, give up hit after walk after hit. And you kind of started watching this thinking they can't blow a five-run lead in the ninth, can they? And then Edgar Renteria, sure enough, hits a walk-off three-run bomb to left field. And I remember just sitting there watching Antonio Alfonseca standing on the mound, staring at it, and just going, get off, get off the mound, get off the mound, and go home. And we left this ballpark in in this 95-degree, 100% humidity night of just feeling as low as you can get, and all these idiot Cardinal fans beeping their horns on the way out of the parking garages. And on our way back to the hotel, you saw this guy, maybe late 30s, early 40s, Cardinal fan, shit-talking his 8-year-old Cub fan son. And nothing better summed up to me, like, the feeling of, like, massive inferiority of Cardinal fans just manifesting itself right there, where knowing that your 8-year-old kid was feeling at his worst, and you had to make his night just a little bit more terrible, even though you're, you're, you're his dad. So, yeah, that's, that's Bush 2 in a nutshell. Bush Stadium 3, Jason Takes Manhattan, I guess, on the other hand, is pretty nice. It's nicer than you'd think, actually. You get a really solid view of downtown St. Louis and the arch from the upper deck. Just don't expect the lights to be on at any point, because Bush Stadium 3 is the only place that's illuminated past 7 o'clock at night in downtown St. Louis. Cardinal fans love to leave early to beat the traffic, like around the 7th inning, half the ballpark clears out, and you look at it and go, why? There's nobody there! We might as well complete our tour of 1970s-era multipurpose stadiums with Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. And I just had to delete a track where I called it Three Rivers Stadium in Cincinnati, which you might as well because it was the exact same thing. I went to Three Rivers with a couple of college friends on a road trip, and when we were walking into the entrance, my friend Dan just starts chanting out of nowhere, Concrete! Da-da-da-da! Concrete! Da-da-da-da! Couldn't have said it better myself. However, the place they replaced Three Rivers Stadium with, PNC Park, one of the very best in baseball. The first level of PNC Park, you have a view of the magnificent Pittsburgh skyline. It's like opened up over the entirety of the outfield. Breathtaking. Couldn't have planned it any better. Then you move to an upper deck spot, and you realize you've also got a view of the river and the bridges leading to downtown in front of it. I'm going to have my honeymoon in the upper deck of PNC Park. And I also mention it because there's a very special fan who goes to games at PNC. I hope he still does. I went there about 20 years ago. My friend Emily and I call him Dipty Doodle Man. And he sits somewhere in the first deck. And he wears this Roberto Clemente jersey from maybe 1970. And it hasn't been washed since 1970. And every time a pirate pitcher gets two strikes on a batter, Dipsy Doodle Man would stand up and yell, Hey, Chris, throw that dipsy doodle pitch and strike him right out. Throw that dipsy doodle pitch and strike him right out. Woo! Dipsy doodle, I think, was the name for a curveball from, like, 1925, which coincidentally was the last time the Pirates were competitive. 
So it's worth celebrating. Dipsy Doodle Man, PNC Park, just gorgeous. Highly, highly recommended. And when you go to PNC, there's this circular ramp out in left field. Take the time to take a walk up there and stop at each level of it because the view just gets better and better and better each time you go up. Just a wonderful place. One of Pittsburgh's only rivals in terms of improved ballpark experience is Minnesota. Number nine on this list is the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, the weirdest place to see a game I've ever been. And nothing can convey to you just how disconcerting it was for me to walk out from the concourse of the Metrodome into the seating area and looking up and instead of seeing a sky, this beautiful crystal blue sky or this night sky as dusk descends, you look up and see white Teflon. Like, it was almost dizzying how bizarre that was. I went to the Metrodome once with one of my high school friends, my buddy Chris, who is not a big baseball fan but likes to go to games to humor me, which is how you get to be friends with me for 20 years. And Chris sat down, looked at the white Teflon ceiling and the puke green carpet of the artificial turf and the blue baggie out in right field. And all he could say was, it's so fake. Sometimes three words is all you need. It was even weird leaving the Metrodome because in order to keep the roof inflated, you had to walk out this revolving door into this foyer, which was this giant wind tunnel before you could hit downtown Minneapolis. So even leaving the ballpark, your experience was best described as, yeah, I just watched a baseball game and now it feels like I'm a bird going through a jet engine. Putting a dome in downtown Minneapolis is almost cruel to Minnesota baseball fans, and nothing emphasizes that more than number 10 on the list, Target Field. The view of downtown Minneapolis over right field and Target Field is just breathtaking. It's fantastic. And I went to Target Field two years ago on Prince Night, where we celebrate the greatest musical genius and maybe the greatest Minnesota resident who ever lived. I'll just throw that out there. Sure, hot take. Why not? What I remember most about that was the post-game fireworks show. And I know earlier I mentioned I'm not a big fan of fireworks, but if you play them over Raspberry Beret, I'll deal. And I remember watching this 10 or 15 minute extravaganza, seeing purple fireworks going off over a lit up Minneapolis skyline to the sounds of the beautiful ones. And my friend Tom, who I went to the game with, says every time he hears the beautiful ones, he thinks of that fireworks show, and kind of so do I. And it's just one of those moments where you realize, yeah, baseball is cool, Prince is cool, Target Field is great. Number 11 on the list is the Sky Dome in Toronto, which, when it went up in the late 80s, felt like the future. The first retractable roof ballpark in MLB history. Blue Jays used to draw 4 million fans a year. They were winning World Series. Everyone was happy. Now, because it's Toronto, you look at that giant half-dome out in center field, and it just feels like the setting for the most polite Mad Max film ever. But the one thing I'll say about Skydome, I went back in 2004, and it was the site of the first Pride Night I'd ever attended in person. And seeing Toronto be that celebratory and that encouraging of its LGBTQ community at a time where this was hardly the norm around baseball was really uplifting. The one thing I remember about that, weirdly enough, was at the seventh inning stretch, they pulled people on the field and dressed them up in giant fruit costumes, and I'm still not sure, is that a Canadian gay thing or, or not? Or, but uh, just this great sense of celebration and positivity. It was really cool. I know I rag a lot on the 1970s, and I have already, but Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City is the one redeeming feature of that era. It's the David Bowie of ballparks. 
It's also the best middle of nowhere park because it's like maybe five or 10 miles outside of downtown Kansas City and you see nothing but the highway and a couple hotels, but it's still utterly beautiful. Kauffman Stadium makes concrete beautiful. That's how cool it is. And there's nothing to me in terms of architectural features better than fountains in the outfield. When you're watching a game to the background noise of the sound of waterfalls, and I'm not talking TLC, all that that honestly would also be kind of neat. It's at, at once relaxing and also just this really cool bit of nature intruding on the game too. I, I really love the fountains and the waterfalls out in the outfield and the crown scoreboard, great feature. Like Kaufman Stadium, can't recommend it enough. And if Kaufman Stadium redeems the 1970s, then Dodger Stadium redeems the 60s. There is no greater compliment I can think of for a ballpark than this. Dodger Stadium is what would happen if Vin Scully play-by-play were architecture. It is just this gorgeous expanse of a ballpark. It's also one of the biggest in the game, but you don't mind, honestly. And if you go, I highly recommend doing this. Get there early. You'll beat 99% of the Dodger crowd because you're not getting there in the third inning. Take the walk up to the fifth deck of the ballpark, and then just spend like five or ten minutes just looking out over batting practice. You'll see the field expand in all its glory before you, the hills of Chavez Ravine directly behind the outfield, and if there's no smog, you've got a a view of the San Gabriel Mountains in the background that really can't be beat anywhere. Dodger Stadium is this immaculate place. Really, really love it. Uh, It's also just a place for weird fan behavior like if you love the wave if you like beach balls dodger fans love the stereotypes and honestly good on you as long as that stereotype doesn't involve beating the shit out of fans in the parking lot which let's face it that's also a thing there sometimes but i remember the first game i went to in dodger stadium was in the summer of 1990 and the giveaway that night was a faked autograph ball and i don't know if you remember autograph ball holders from that era which were these cheap plastic clear plastic holders. And sometime in the middle of the game, somebody in the ballpark figured out that if you rubbed the top half of the holder against the bottom, it made a squeaking noise. So all of a sudden, like halfway through the game, everybody in the park started doing it. You hear this massive squeak, squeak, squeak. And you look at it and go, is this close encounters? Still, Dodger Stadium, one of the best parks in the game. Its counterpart in 60s architecture, Angel Stadium of Anaheim, not so much. The best feature of Angel Stadium is the old Big A scoreboard, and it's in the parking lot. It's like if the Red Sox decided to move the Green Monster to a Dunkin' Donuts. Number 15 on the list is Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. And this was another concrete semi-monstrosity, but I remember kind of liking this one a little bit more partly because this was on a California vacation and my dad surprised me with an extra baseball game, so that's always great. Partly because I remember on the drive to Jack Murphy, we descended into a valley and it like suddenly just appeared out of nowhere, almost like Camelot from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It also had a giant scoreboard in right field, the first park I can remember that had just a huge dominant scoreboard. And I always like giant scoreboards. It's kind of a weird thing about me. And finally... Tony Gwynn, need I say more? Jack Murphy's replacement is Petco Park, which was my most recent baseball trip last year, summer of 2019. And to start with, Petco Park, to quote the great George Carlin, it's a goofy fucking name. And it is, but it's a really impressive ballpark. I talked about 
this a bit with John Ozelay around episode 10-ish or so, and Petco Park does not get the publicity that it really deserves. It's a great place to see a game. The thing that really strikes me about it is that it's designed to show off just how amazing a summer day in San Diego is. It feels so incredibly open, especially with the big expanse of park in center field that just goes on for several blocks all the way leading into downtown San Diego. The seats are blue. It's like they call attention to the blueness of the sky. Really, if you go to Petco, go to a day game. It's just a fantastic place to see just almost an endless expanse of blue, like I say. And the other great part about Petco Park is incorporating the Western Metal Supply Building in left field into the design of the ballpark. And Camden Yards kind of set the template for it. But what I really like about how Petco does it is that the side of the Western Metal Supply Building functions as the left field foul pole. And I saw this during the game we watched, where Eric Hosmer had a deep drive to left field that clearly was going to leave the yard. The question was fair or foul. And it hit just to the left of the foul pole, which meant it then hit the side of the building and then ricocheted into the left field stands. So depending on whether it ricochets into the stands or back onto the field determines whether or not it's a home run. And that is just a really cool way to make, make the uh, existing architecture have a role to play in the game you see in front of you. And we'll conclude this episode with AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants, currently known as Oracle Park, I think, also previously known as SBC Park, Pac Bell Park, the Year of the Depend Adult Undergarment Park. Sure, why not? Throw a David Foster Wallace reference in there. It's a shame that, you know, if billionaires want to be useful, why not have one of them, just one billionaire, Give Willie Mays $250 million and say, hey, here, take this, put your damn name on this place. Because Willie Mays is the kind of name that this incredible ballpark deserves. It is fantastic. A wonderful place to see a game. Lives up to the hype completely, just like Pittsburgh. I went, went with a big group to this one in San Francisco. And my friend Aaron, who is a casual baseball fan, sits down with me in the upper deck, and the first thing out of his mouth, looking at the expanse of green grass and the Cubby Cove and the rolling hills out in the background, just says, Ken, this is amazing. And it is. And Aaron is, I should also add, married to the biggest Dodger fan I know, so this is not the kind of thing that he should be saying out loud, but he can't help himself, because it's great. San Francisco is the kind of ballpark where the perfect baseball sky meets the perfect baseball water and just an absolute perfect setting for the game. I took one shot, one picture of uh, AT&T Park around the fourth or fifth inning as the sun was setting, and it was this incredible mix of a baseball sky that combined crystal blue with hints of purple and pink, and then the sun was making the water out, out beyond right field shimmer in McCovey Cove. It was just breathtaking. And you, you sit there and you almost feel bad for the people sitting in the front row just sitting there thinking, yeah, sure, you're close to Buster Posey, but you don't have this view. San Francisco is such an incredible place, and every baseball fan should make it a point to go there at some point. So those are the first 17 ballparks on my list, and I've got 17 more to go. I'm not sure when the second episode of this is going to drop, because for right now we've got real baseball to talk about for the next, hopefully, three or four months, up until maybe they play a World Series. That'd be nice. So it might have to wait till the off-season, but uh, again, if you have comments on this or if you have suggestions of parks I should visit, 
drop me a line. Uh, drop me a DM at, at Ken Schultz underscore on Twitter. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoyed it. And have a great 4th of July weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.